Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 26 of the Mendoza Line. My name is Cam, and I'm joined by Nick, as always. What's up, man? Cam, we have made it to the end of the first season of Mendoza Line. We have. It's been, a, it's been an up-and-down emotional roller coaster, but we saw it through to the end. Yeah, the marathon, we've endured, we've finished. Quite the, the fun ending as well. What a way to go out. Yeah, we uh, we skipped an episode last week because we wanted to wait till the World Series was over to record, and boy, am I glad that we did because that World Series was nuts. It probably would have sounded pretty stupid on Sunday night. With yeah, I think at that point it was three one because they played game five that night, and then yeah. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday was six and seven. So at that point, yeah, three one. Like pretty. I mean, the Indians just really took care of business and did everything really well. Um, they rode their starting pitching bullpen and timely hitting. But then, yeah, kind of after that, it all changed, which we'll talk about. But you know, not to toot our own horn. But, if, <laughs> but we're going to those that would have tuned in in February would have known that this was not a surprise at all. This was predicted. And even last uh, two weeks ago, you correctly predicted the Cubs in seven. I'm sure you called uh, the Indians going up three one and then the Cubs winning. Uh, well, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to do it, why not do it? You know, in epic fashion. Hey, Cleveland blew a three one lead. Just like Golden State blew through. Well, yeah the the uh, the poetic symmetry there is not lost on me. Yeah, the fact that Cleveland Cavaliers were down three one and came back to win. Now they're up three one and lost. So the 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 poetic symmetry there is too good to not um, just relish. Also needs to remind Cleveland that you're still Cleveland, <laughs> just because you have the best basketball player in the world. And finally won an NBA Finals that you can't, like, because all that, like, Golden State blew a 3-1 stuff. You can't just shove that in people's faces yeah, all year. Don't, don't tempt the sporting gods, that's for yeah. sure. I was getting, Especially when your football team can't win a single game. I was getting very uncomfortable, first of all, living in a world where two Cleveland sports franchises would have won major sports championships in the same year. Like, now we're just being mean. <laughs> no, I mean, when was we're talking about epic droughts here for all of those teams, and and just the random like how the odds of that where the Indians, because I mean they have a pretty long streak as well. We talked about that to have both those streaks broken in the same year. Um, that would have been a little too crazy. But I mean, that's just the fan aspect of it. I mean, that it's pretty incredible when you look at the Indians, what they were able to accomplish and how close they were to becoming World Series, World Series champions, all in the, basically the arms of Corey Kluber, who started three games in that series, uh, Andrew Miller, who kind of wore down there at the end, in Game 7, gave up some runs, but through, you know... Seven and two thirds innings in the World Series, on top of all the innings that he threw in the previous two series, um, and 
kind of carrying. I mean, they almost won the World Series with that when they had their outfield was awful, and that really is what kind of killed them. Yeah, Lonnie Chisenhall had at least two plays that I can remember. Lonnie where he at, yeah, he absolutely choked in right field at least twice that I can remember that cost the Indians runs. Taylor Naquin or Tyler mm-hmm. Naquin gave up a two like really bad plays, dismissive communicated with Chisenhall. Uh, Rajai Davis. Rajai Davis. Coco Crisp. They had to take him out the end of the game because his arm is so bad. Um, he can't throw. Like he could never, he has a 20 arm. Like that's the worst grade of an arm you could give someone. So just defensively with a team like the Cubs that can hit that well, it just, it kind of played out like the, you know, sometimes I guess this doesn't always happen, but oftentimes in seven game series, the better team wins because those flaws are exposed over time. And I think because of the tremendous pitching, and the ends were able to kind of hide that, you know, those first four games just because Kluber pitched two really good games. And then Miller was untouchable. Miller was first. untouchable. But then after that, when they actually had to pitch um, some of their younger guys on short rest, um, including Bauer and Tomlin, you know, they started hitting rockets all over the place. That's what really killed them. Um, especially, yeah, game five was their chance and they lost three to two. You know, they took a, took a lead in the second inning. I remember watching that game and I was like, this, this could be over. Like if they, if they get past the fourth or fifth with a one run lead and bring in Miller and that bullpen shuts it down, like it's over. But then the Cubs got three runs in the, uh, bottom of the fourth. I think that's what really switched the series and the momentum because uh, they obviously won that game. And then game six, Tomlin, I mean, he got kind of exposed on short rest. Uh, gave up seven runs in th- the first three innings. And then, yeah, game seven was crazy. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But they couldn't close it out in game five. That was their chance. Even, you know, looking at that series in a, you know, macro level, even though they had game six and seven at home, the Cubs had Arietta on full rest in game six and uh, Hendricks, who was your pick for NL Cy Young in game seven on full rest. And he pitched very well. And he pitched very well. So, you know, you didn't foresee some of John Madden had some questionable decisions with his bullpen in game six. John Madden or Joe Madden? Joe Madden. I've been watching too much football today. Which, you know, he brought Chapman in and he threw, threw a lot or he threw 20 pitches over a couple innings when they had a big lead. And then he kind of ran out of gas in game seven and gave up that two run home run to Rajai yeah, Davis. Yeah, every, everyone ran out of gas in game seven. Which was one of the more unlikely things, I think, to have predicted that, you know, Rajai Davis would hit a big home run off. Roll to Chapman. Spoiler alert, Nick. Spoiler alert. Jeez. Uh, well, I'm assuming at this point most everyone <laughs> has seen. So. Well, can I propose something to you? Absolutely. All right. I have a few comments I want to make on the series as a whole, and I want to get your thoughts on it. And then I want to jump into Game 7, because I think Game 7 is probably the best game of baseball I've ever watched. It's up there. 
at least in recent memory. Also, I almost copied you on this, but I read a tweet that it was the most watched baseball game in like 40 years. Which I can't believe how that's true. Maybe it's like based on percentage of people, because I feel like more people have access to TVs back then. But yeah, a lot of people watch that game. All right, so a few thoughts I had on the series. Chicago won three of their four games in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Which I find very odd. Now, I get it. Schwarber wasn't cleared to play outfield. And that kid. <coughs> oh, my goodness. Talk about kind making of amazing a comeback. What he did. It's incredible. Yeah. I don't think we need spring training anymore. You know? Or no, I guess just, not everyone. Yeah, just go take 1,300 pitches off of a machine and you can go play in the World Series and be an integral part to your team winning. To be fair, not everyone is Kyle Schwarber, but yeah, yeah, I would, I would need at least fourteen hundred pitches from a machine. Pretty incredible what he did. Yeah, with basically he he played like two games in the Arizona Fall League. Like you said, took a bunch of pitchers pitches off the um, pitching machine, and yeah, he was he was amazing. He he had seventeen at bats. He hit over 400, 412. Um, got on base seven out, of, or he got on base half the time. So he had he had three walks. So yeah, he got he got on base ten times out of twenty plate appearances. So I mean, <laughs> that that was pretty incredible piece to be able to add. And as that DH, he's the perfect DH to to really round that lineup out. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, so yeah, I just. That was incredible. I thought that that was very telling of the Cubs' offense in that as the National League team, they were able to out-American League the Indians three out of four games, which goes to show you that the Indians, I mean, not actual, but the Indians' true strength all season has been their pitching, starting and bullpen. And I feel like their pitching was so good for so long that it covered up as you mentioned, the defensive weaknesses in the outfield and also the uh, batting mm-hmm. is not the best. And so usually great pitching wins in the playoffs, which is why they got to game seven of the World Series, even though their offense wasn't, you know, like the Cubs offense, which was just crazy good. And uh, I think the fact that the Cubs were able to take advantage of the DH position in such an incredibly strong way was what they needed to overcome, as you saw in Game 7, when all of the good pitchers just imploded except for Kyle Hendricks. Miller went down, Kluber went down, Lester got into some trouble, uh, rolled his Chapman, just dumpster fire on the mound. Mm-hmm. Um, Couldn't even throw it just, it was, it was at the end. He no, was I mean, sliders. throwing sliders, which, hey, it worked kind of for a little bit, but the, just the, the ebb and flow of this World Series to me was so bizarre. You know, and the Cubs are kind of built like an American League team, which makes sense because Theo Epstein, you know, spent that many years in Boston. But, um, yeah, it was really interesting to see the Cubs' bats come alive towards the end of the series, and then the Indians really kind of get exposed um, for the issues that they had outside of their pitching. It's really interesting to me. Yeah, the Indians, once they, yeah, Kluber's, you know, pitching the first two games was a big advantage. And then being able to pull out uh, game three, uh, starting, um, 
uh, Josh Tomlin, that was what kind of a, for me was like that, that gives them a chance now because they had to win at least one. And if you're expecting Kluber to win all three, which is a tall task, you need, you got, you got to steal a game somewhere else. So when Tomlin went there and pitched well and gave him that win in game three, that first game at Wrigley and kind of stole the, the momentum back, you know, this, that's where the Indians had their chance. But yeah, that's, that's just tough to throw, to try to win a series with three pitchers, two of which are not, um, you know, pitchers that strike fear in you. Young guys who just asking a lot. So the Cubs just were able to, you know, hang in there and then take care or take advantage of those, um, those aspects at the end of the series. And even in, I mean, you have to give the Cubs credit while, you know, they do have the best team. They faced a lot of adversity and, you know, not only in, you know, in the NLCS and they got down two, one to the Dodgers, but in this World Series, getting down three-one to to never quit, and in Game Seven to have that big lead, to have them come back and tie it, you know all those doubts in your mind, all the curse stuff comes up, having the rain crazy rain delay, to be able to come out of that in the tenth and score two runs, I think speaks a lot to their character and just not you know a lot not letting those outside factors overtake and just letting talent do talent take over so very impressive series by the cubs definitely one that's going to go down in the history books not only because the cubs won but just because it was a fantastic series and you have to you know feel for the indians a little bit wondering what it would have been like if they would have had carrasco and salazar at full strength um, Salazar did pitch a little bit, but and did well. But if it, he, you know, he's a guy that if he starts, is pretty dominant. That could have really helped them. But yeah, it was interesting too, just a general sense too of how you know relief pitchers were used a little bit differently and having that relief ace, how that changes things moving forward um, with guys like Andrew Miller. And the cool thing for the Indians is they're going to have him for two more years. Whereas Chapman is now a free agent. So it'll be interesting to see what the Cubs do. Because they've got pretty much everyone coming back on offense except for Dexter Fowler. And I I get a sense he would come back. Uh, they you know gave him a little bit of a discount. But their pitching is going to be interesting to see how that goes. And then who they, they try to replace Chapman at all. But the Indians should be back health pending. Um, but yeah, they'll they'll be good again next year. That that AL Central, I think it's like four of the last five AL pennants came out of the Central. Yeah, with the last three years in a row, Cleveland, Kansas City, Kansas City going backwards. So Tigers were in there. So yeah, impressive. But yeah, the the division that used to be the. De facto, whoever is the best of the mediocre teams gets beaten in the first round of the playoffs division has now become, you know, pretty strong. The new the new AL East, if you will. You know, back when it was the Red Sox, Rays, and Yankees fighting for, you know, two playoff spots. Now it's out of the AL Central, so. Mm-hmm. 
definitely have to give a shout out to Ben Zobrist, Series MVP, back to back World Series champion now. Could probably argue that he could have been the World Series MVP last year too. But he <clears throat> he had a, that big hit in the top of the tenth of, ga- of game seven. He was amped when he got to second base. Yeah, he's just he was, he was so excited his helmet flew off. <laughs> he's a great guy too. I really like him. But yeah, and. And he was like genu- genuinely surprised that he got a Camaro. It's like, dude, you won the World Series last year. You the MVP always gets a Chevy. Like, <laughs> give rich people free cars. Yeah, but yeah, he hit three fifty seven, got on base forty one percent of the time, two doubles, a triple. Uh, yeah, he was awesome. Uh, other top performers, Chris Bryant had a couple big home runs. Yeah, if he doesn't have the home runs in Game Five and Six, and Game Seven never happens. Yep, so. exactly. Rizzo hit over three sixty, uh, had a big home run, five RBIs. Uh, Allison Russell didn't have the best batting average type series, or as far as getting on base. But when he hit it, it definitely he made it count. Had that grand slam in Game Which- Six. There, okay, there are three home runs in this series that don't make any sense to me. Addison Russell hitting a grand slam, of all people. Mm-hmm. Dexter Fowler hitting the leadoff home run in Game 7. Mm-hmm. And then Rajai Davis hitting the game-tying home run. Like, it's just, crazy. The, yeah. You don't expect it from those three dudes. That's not their strong suit. That's not how they usually contribute. You know what I mean? Cannot predict baseball. But yeah, uh, Russell had... Nine RBIs, definitely by far. Six six of them in one game. <laughs> six in one game. But, yeah, so those were the guys that really carried the Cubs defensively. I mean, they were very impressive. Javi Baez was awesome. David Ross had a great series. That was another home run. Yeah. That was very unlikely. What and we- without that home run... Well, we can talk about David Ross more when we get into the actual Game 7. But yeah, he talk about a way to go out, man. If that is your last baseball game you ever play professionally, holy mm-hmm. Moses. For the Indians, Kipnis had a good series. Uh, hit 300. He uh, was interesting. He actually hurt his ankle after they won the ALCS. That was kind of under the radar, but they showed a picture and it was all swollen up. So they're concerned about his health for the series. But he had a good series. Um, Jose Ramirez, he was solid, just like he was in the regular season. And Francisco Lindor, those were the three Indians hitters that really did anything. And outside of that, it was pretty ugly. A lot of very low batting averages. Coco Crisp had a couple of nice timely hits. But it just, they just, le- you know, they're leaning on basically five guys. Kipnis, Ramirez, Lindor, and then Kluber and Miller. Yeah. And I'm a huge I'm a huge Lindor fan now oh, after watching him play. He's, awesome. he's he's so good. And he had such a great play in the uh top of the ninth, I think it was. Oh yeah, when he ranged all the way to the other side of second base and threw the guy out. It was insane. Yeah, I mean that was a great play, ton of pressure. He has to make that play or the Cubs take a, a run one lead. Um but yeah, he was like he made it, he was smiling, he was pumped. The kids yeah, he's like, this is his first full year in the big leagues. He just turned 22. So. That's insane. All right, should we dive into game one or game seven? Yeah. No, I, I will All admit, right. I was at a hockey game. That well, was, it was the Red Wings, so you're forgiven. Yes, which, oh, so disappointing. 
had to lead the whole game and they lost in overtime and I got yelled at by a bunch of drunk Philly fans. Oh, really? That's surprising. Because I was wearing my Red Wings shirt. Wow. But I did get back in time to see the 10th after the rain delay, but I've obviously, I know what well, happened. Allow me to spin you a story, sir. Spin it. All right. That's what John Smoltz likes to say. Who is spinning the baseball really good? I like him, by the way. I think he's really good. Yeah, I always, every time that Joe Buck read the uh, upcoming NFL games on Sunday, he always gave him crap for not mentioning the Lions, even though they were on the screen, which makes me happy because Smoltz is a, is a Michigan guy. Yeah. Granted, he's a Michigan State fan, which he's you know, also I'll hold a Tiger, him, and but... they decided to trade him for nothing. Um, thanks for ruining my day, Nick. I appreciate that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm that, flustered. One now. of the worst trades of all time, but it's okay. Anyways, okay. So the game starts <laughs> off. <laughs> the game starts off with Dexter Fowler hitting. I think it's like the fourth or fifth pitch of the game. Just cranks it out. Cubs go up one nothing. Which, all right, Kluber was pretty much untouchable in the first two games, and the fact that Dexter Fowler's hitting a leadoff home run, that's a you know, huge, that's very, yeah. very, yeah, very, very uh, promising of what may come. Uh, Hendricks is dealing. He winds up giving up one run in the third, and then in the fourth and the fifth, you get uh, two runs for the Cubs in the fourth, two runs again in the fifth. Wilson Contreras, who batting average was just atrocious in the World Series. Yeah, he had a rough World Series. A couple of bad pass balls, too. Yeah, and then in the fourth, he hits a uh, double, RBI double, to get uh, the score up to 3-1. to And then after this, in the next inning, Joe Madden does something that I'm still questioning. Yeah, he pulled him. He he? pulls Kyle Hendricks out. Got a little and aggressive. And I don't know why. I feel like he panicked a bit. Mm-hmm. And I get that John Lester's good. I understand. He's not come out of the bullpen since 2007. Bringing him in means that David Ross has to catch, because apparently he won't pitch to Contreras. Yeah, so Ross, or so Lester cannot evidently pitch to anyone else but Ross, which he's going to have to figure out something next year. And he also can't throw to first base. That's like can't can't or chooses not to. He can't like he he mentally can't. Have you seen some of the leads that these guys have gotten? If he could, he would, but he can't. It's crazy. I knew that. I mean, it was always, oh, he's coming in. Then you know he can't hold runners to save his life. Which I'm like, okay, I, I he's a good pitcher. This is the seventh game of the World Series, and base runners are currency, right? And you're gonna take out a guy who's pitching. Above average, if not well, he's in a little bit of trouble. He's pitching fine, and you're going to bring in a guy that doesn't hold runners, and his catcher is, what, 38? Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, Contreras is really good defensively for the most part. So anyways, so he brings in John Lester earlier than I think he should have, and clearly I'm in the right here because I've, you know, He's only got like 40 years of major league experience as a manager or assistant. Uh, Anyways, so he comes in and promptly they give up two runs. There's a wild pitch. Then David Ross falls on his butt because he trips. 
you can clearly tell they're both uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And they kind of choke a little bit. And they give up two runs, and all of a sudden... It's a ball game again. It's 5-3, to three and the Indians are showing signs of life. So we go ahead to the sixth inning. David Ross homers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's just one of those head scratchers. Like, okay, wait, wait to at least get one of those runs back. And he even said it after the game. Like, I gave up two runs. At least I was able to get one back. Like, he totally owned it, which I thought was great. And you kind of get that sense that David Ross is just like a straight shooter. Seems like a super nice guy. All the other players seem to love him. How him and Rizzo were interacting the whole game, you can clearly tell that Rizzo looks up to him big time. Yeah, those guys uh, are like besties. Yeah, and it, they even they even mic'd David Ross during the game, and at one point they played a clip where Rizzo walks up to him and goes, dude, my emotions, I, he goes, I'm losing my mind. And then he goes, I'm in a glass box of emotion. <laughs> it's like, oh, he quotes Anchorman too. Okay, he's just a normal dude. Um, so anyways, getting sidetracked. David Ross pulls a run back. And things are kind of calm. Lester's doing just fine. They get out of it. Ross is fine. Everyone's calm. Then they bring in Chapman mm. super early. After he worked. Like, he's already pitched, what, 42? No, that, that's not right. Uh, he had thrown 20 pitches, but it was over, like, he had warmed up three, or three different times because he pitched, like, the end of one inning. And then, the, so it was like, it wasn't just a 20 pitch, but he got, he got used quite a bit. Well, the and even before. the series before that, like he was sitting on like, oh, like a roughly like a hundred pitches over the last three days. Mm-hmm. And for anyone starter or bullpen, that is a lot of work. And so they brought Chapman in and he promptly gave up the goat as they say. And the next thing, you know, tie ball game. The bottom of the eighth. And this is the point where my wife started. Um, Gosh, I can't even imagine. She she was not happy. Let's put it that way. And she is eight and a half months pregnant. So <laughs> stress is not really good for her at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where Rajai Davis had the two-run homer to tie the game. Which again, third third unpredictable home run of the game. That's where as a, re- or a Cubs fan... I would just be like very pessimistic at that point. Like this is over. Like there's no mm-hmm. way. Like, oh, I, I even had that thought. I was just like, Oh my God, that's it. It's over. Like, this is how they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Raja Davis is going to tie the game on a home run. And then somehow, some way the bottom of the ninth, the Indians are going to, you know, uh, wild pitch and score and walk off and win the world series at home. Like you just, it was going so well. And then the second they brought Lester in, I just thought, well, here we go. Like, you just had that sense, like, something was going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And it did. And then all of a sudden, in the bottom of the eighth inning, you're tied 6-6. Six to six, And you just, yeah, the impending doom of the Cubs are going to blow it again. They're going to do it again. And it was just like, uh, so, and I'm, I'm not even, like, a Cubs fan. But my wife's whole family is, for the most part. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, I just felt bad. Well, thankfully, you know, thankfully for the Cubs that Andrew Miller was mortal in that game and gave up some runs, or else they could have, they probably would have lost. And that's, you know, I think we we can talk about the the mortality of the certain pitchers uh, after 
after uh, this game because I really do want to talk about that because that's interesting to me. So anyways, fast forward. No one scores in the ninth. They're about to go to the tenth, and then there's a rain delay. Which at this point, it's like 1230 in Cleveland at night. And they pull a rain delay. And you think, of course, extra innings in Game 7 with the Cubs. There's a rain delay. This is when Jesus comes back, and this World Series never ends. Mm-hmm. Like, we never get the, the closure that we want. Um, and the Cubs come out of that rain delay on fire. Zobris has a huge hit. And what I thought was really interesting, after the game, when they were interviewing the players, every single player they asked about the rain delay all said Jason Hayward called the meeting, told us what we needed to hear. And we came out and got the job done. And I can't help, but think that was the players sticking up for a guy who's had a terrible season at the plate. The one good thing he may have done. If true, the whole series or season, but it tells you like, I wonder if they're like, okay, we know he's been, he's had a really, really bad year statistically, but clearly he's one of those guys in the locker room that has the respect of the players, regardless of how he's performing. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was neat that to a person, everyone they asked about it said, Jason Hayward called the meeting and he's the one that told us what we needed to hear so we could come out and win. And I just thought it was really cool that they had his back. Yeah. I think that's a great story. And that's one of those like gut check moments of it. You know, you go in there and your mind can wander. You're starting to get nervous. You need someone to stand up and be like, we're going to win this game. Like, just go out there and get the job done. I think, I think it helped. Well, I was just thinking like, you know, originally they were unsure how long the rain delay was going to be. And I'm, I'm thinking it was the advantage that it was as short as it was. It was only like, you know, 45 minutes. If it would have gone on a few hours, just a lot of like sitting and thinking on it. You know, you we never know what's going to happen, but I would, I would think that, you know, with the momentum that the Indians had, and it's just crazy. So many, just bottom of the ninth tie gate or bottom extra innings game seven. I was just so glad I wasn't a fan of either team because I couldn't have handled the heartbreak of losing a game like that, being so close. Do you see that tweet about? This guy, like three years ago, said something about it was going to be the Indians and Cubs in the 2016 World Series. It was going to be a tie game and a bottom of the ninth. And then the apocalypse was going to happen or something like that. <laughs> it's like everyone is freaking out about it. Yeah. So then the rain came and everyone was like, this is it. But, but alas, we're still here. So yeah, so after a rain delay, they come out. Zobris has a huge double after uh, um, Rizzo is on, and I cannot remember who had the hit. They 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 pinch ran uh, Alberta uh, Albert Almara for whoever was before Rizzo, which leads me to believe it was. Was it Schwarber? Yeah, he was batting second, and then yeah, Rizzo was, or was it? Hmm, I can't did remember. Anyways, open, did the opening batter walk or get a hit? Because they got on, and then there was a force out play. It was yeah, it was get. Chris. Yeah, Chris Bryant um, got on, and then Schwarber hit the force. Schwarber Schwarber uh, singled, 
and then they replaced him with Elmora. Then Bryant flew out to center, and he tagged and up. Yeah. And he tagged up and got to second, which was huge. Then they intentionally rocked Rizzo, and that's when Zobras. Hit and the then double. Zobras, Zobras doubled. Elmora went from second home, Rizzo to third, and then they intentionally walked Russell, and then Montero, who had had like a grand slam, and that was it all series. Yeah. Uh, in, as if that's you know a small contribution. Uh, he singled to left field, and Rizzo scored and Zobras to third. And then, which was a very worked. very important run. Yeah, it's huge, and it was a great at bat. Um, fairly short, but he got his pitch and he put it in play, and then Hayward Baez promptly got out, and then they bring in Carl Edwards Jr. And I'm like, all right, this kid's young. He's gonna, he's gonna close the game out. They're gonna win. He gets two outs. Yeah. Then he and hits. Then, then he hit hit a batter. He, uh, Jose uh, Napoli struck out. Then Ramirez grounded out. And then he walked Brandon Geyer. And then he he didn't hit him. And then Rajay Davis singled on a line drive, and Geyer got all the way home. And they pulled him out for Mike Montgomery. And then they uh, put in, or Michael Martinez is up because they used him as a defensive sub in right, right. field because he's, like he's got a really good arm. That was he's got where, a great arm, but he can't hit. That's where having Crisp out there killed him because they've had to put Martinez in, who is one of the worst offensive hitters in the league. And he weakly grounded out to Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, who slipped. Smiled the whole way. Yeah, and Rizzo makes a great stretch and immediately pockets comes. the ball in his back. Yeah, which I thought was super smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ball is going to be worth a lot of money if he chooses to sell it, which you don't think he needs the money. He's probably just going to keep it. All right. So, anyways, the the emotional roller coaster of Game Seven is over. The Cubs win. Everyone is you know freaking out. Chicago still standing, I think. Surprisingly, but yeah, there was like five million people at the celebration parade, which is the seventh largest, seventh largest human gathering of all time. Which <laughs> the other six? <laughs> how, do, were how do you def- Trump or what? Oh, <laughs> that's really sad. Though it's not true. I know you're lying, Nick. But what defines a human gathering? Because I feel like. <laughs> Every day, in, every day in China is the world's largest gathering of people. <laughs> All like looking, doing the same thing. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. Space. So the, they have this giant celebration. Chicago loses their minds. We get to witness history being made, and there probably will be a huge baby boom in Chicago in nine months. Many Addisons, Chris, Johns. David's. I don't know. Maybe a few Theos. Now, the Cubs are now the Red Sox and Yankees and Cardinals. The a top five market baseball team who's going to probably have a lot of success, and they're no their their narrative is going to totally change. I think, or it should. They're no longer the level yeah. of losers. They don't have the the curse stigma. They're just going to be a team that's going to be probably easier and easier to dislike if you're 
competing against them consistently. I saw a few Cleveland Indians fans posting after the game how much more or how much greater the Cubs payroll was than theirs. And, you know, I'm like, who? there's no salary cap in baseball. Cry me a river that they spend more money than you do. Like, that, what is the point in saying, well, the Cubs spent so much more money on their players than we did, and we almost beat them? Well, you still lost, and it doesn't matter how much money you spend because there's no salary cap. Yeah, and I mean, the Cubs it's... can spend as much money as they want to spend. There's nothing illegal or immoral or unethical about it. They're bending no rules. They're just spending more money than you are. Well, the Cubs, I mean, the Cubs, I mean, the Chicago's the third. So they've always been a big market. They haven't had the best ownership until recently, and they hired Theo. So, I mean, there's there's lots of big... The Dodgers are example. They were by far the biggest payroll. And, I mean, they had a good team, but they weren't the Cubs, so you got to spend it well. But, yeah, the cash thing, I mean, it, it's just an inherent disadvantage. I mean, but I think the way baseball is set up, that you can have success... The big market teams are the ones that can probably sustain it a little longer because they can keep guys, but small market teams can compete. You just have to be smart and know what you're doing and not sign big free agents to dumb contracts. Because, I mean, the reason why the Cubs... Leave that to the Yankees. The reason why the Cubs payroll so high, a lot of it's because of Jason Hayward. and I mean, he's their worst player, so it's not like, you know it was probably a disadvantage to have him on the team. So yeah. And they're stuck with him for a long time. Yeah. This was his first out of eight years on the contract, which he could still turn it around. He's still young, but I'm very glad. Yeah. I, I imagine this is probably one of the worst seasons he'll ever have. I imagine he'll hopefully be better next year. Can't get much worse or else. Yeah. He doesn't really have an option. He's not going to be starting very much on that team. You wouldn't think. Yeah, especially if Schwarber's healthy, which you know he should be. So, so now we're in the we're in the off season, which is I love the off season. It's one of my favorite. You know, if we're not playing baseball, it's fun to watch the transactions and trades and movements, which we will cover. But there's there's still we'll have a little bit of a a lull here as the season wraps up, but um. The baseball season never ends. There's stuff on the calendar. A lot of the prospect writing gets done over the next month or so, and those start coming out, um, which is always kind of exciting to see the young guys that are coming up through the systems. But, but yeah, it was a good season. I had a lot of fun. Um, baseball's great. I'm glad that I was able to bring you along for the whole ride this year. Yeah, it's quite, that was quite the accomplishment, Cam. <laughs> well, yes. Having having a weekly podcast where you have to sound intelligent about baseball is, you know, it's a good enough reason to, to at least pay attention. Have you seen the light? Do you, do you still think the baseball season's way too long? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not as long as my wife's pregnancy, though. Goodness gracious. Uh, Anyways. um, So, yeah. So, that brings us to the end of season one of Mendoza Line. Yay. Or that's sad. <laughs> but we will be back some point in December with a interseason special covering the winter meetings and all of the transactions that have gone on in the off season. And then we will be back with season two of the Mendoza Line 
sometime in February, March when spring training starts. Yeah, just like last year, we'll do some some previews. We'll bring you our expert opinions on the best rotations, bullpens, lineups, which turned out to be not too not too bad. Uh, having the you know we talked about the Cubs a lot, which was easy, but the uh, Indians, you know, I think we were able to talk through some of the things we expected out of them, which came to fruition. So it'll be fun. It'll be a fun little exercise for us to do again, but help us get through the long, dark winter, which with daylight savings time ending has seemingly started because it's dark at five now. It's my time of year, baby. (laughs) So with all that being said, we want to quickly just say thank you so much for listening to this first season of Mendoza Line. It's super cool that we can talk about baseball and people choose to listen. That's a really neat thing. So thank you guys so much for uh, for listening and for supporting the show. Uh, if you guys want to get in touch with us in the off season, you can do that. We'd love to hear from you. You can get Nick on Twitter as long as Twitter's still around, which may not, you know, be for very long. At Coatsy C O A T S I E E, or I'm uh, at Cam Brennan C A M B R E N N A N. And if Twitter dies a slow painful death you can email us hello at supermegacorp.net and uh we'd love to hear suggestions on how we can make the show better make it a little more interactive and if there's anything uh you guys want us to cover or uh you know suggestions you have for what you want to hear on the show we're we're open to all that stuff because we want to make a show that you guys really enjoy so Thanks again, and Nicholas, it's been a pleasure, sir. Congratulations on one season. Thank you. You too. Very well put. We're definitely open to feedback. If you want to hear something or cover something or change the structure or whatever, but definitely have a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to talk to you about these things and get our minds off some of the, I don't know, boring things in life to talk about. Um, such a thing that's dear to my heart and um yeah those that have influenced me in that way but yeah it's been a lot of fun and already looking forward to to next year all right well we will be back with our interseason special sometime in november bye one more adios and also by november i mean december let's try that again bye <laughs> <laughs> adios So professional, Nick. So professional.